Welcome to Solomon's Knot, finding truth and wisdom in an information age. Today's conversation will host several members from the organization Trinity, who we've interviewed in a previous episode. If you haven't already, please listen to that conversation first to know our guests better, including ways to get connected to their mentoring organization. Now, without further delay, let's get to our show. All right, y'all. So before we jump in, does anybody have maybe just a thought that came to your head about where you want to lead the conversation? I mean, I don't have a, really a thought, but I would like to say, I mean, it's okay that we can, like uh, Alana's talking about cultural mm-hmm. and we have a thought. Can we just jump in and kind of yeah. add to it? So that way it's kind of like a conversational tone. Yeah. Well, well okay. Holy Spirit's directing all this. So we'll, we'll touch on the thing. There might've been things we're not even thinking of right now that'll come up. Go ahead, Roxander. Um, also, I was thinking, Marzini mentioned just sharing a little bit more about conservatism. Mm, okay. Um, I think that'll be important. You said that there's a lot of uh, listeners from Europe, right? Oh, yeah. So uh, I think that would be important to mention, at least tangentially. For sure. A little bit. Yeah, defining terms is key. So we we'll want to make sure we get the language yeah. on that. And then, Lana, any thoughts? Um. When we want to jump in, I'm really terrible at like interrupting Mm. or interjecting in like a proper way. In this format, don't worry about it. Just go ahead and jump in. I'm already, I'm guilty of this all the time. I do it a lot. What I think will be helpful is to kind of have a, a roadmap here. So like suggestions I mentioned were just of conversation. I mean, even if we just kind of did it by category, um, we'll maybe we'll do like two scenarios. How about this? And just frame it within the context of your organization. So one of the things I've noticed even at NC State is um, because there's a conservative kind of cultural environment being in the Southeast part of the United States, it's really important to understand what conservatism and the faith mean. Because when we're having conversations about gender, we're having conversations about truth or about ideology and reality, sometimes we come to the table with our own beliefs and ideas of what the world or just what we've been taught. So Lana, can you maybe explain to the students in our audience what Trinity does in terms of approaching students with the understanding that we're going to be discussing issues of the faith from a particular perspective and what does that look like for you? So that really connects with a biblical worldview. Mm. So conservatism, I think really is intertwined with reality and truth. There is a difference between someone who studies the Bible And does the rest of their week kind of like the world that's like living in the world mm-hmm. um, and then goes to church again on Sunday. They don't look around in their daily life to see the world through a biblical lens. And what Trinity does is by going through the Bible verse by verse, mm-hmm. you're really breaking down key concepts, especially in the two key books of the Bible, Genesis and Matthew, is where we typically start people. And by doing that, you get to see what did God create man and woman to be? What did God create marriage to be? What did God create family to be? And you, you discover that the Bible outlines conservatism. Really, conservatism is conserving what God has established in the world. Mm. And that's why we have this attack on Christianity, primarily because it's rooted in this idea of institution of government, institution of family, institution of church. But it's not in the same idea or the same way as the secular world describes it as. So I guess when we are confronted with daily current events, like same-sex marriage is biblical. It's not. If you look at Genesis 2, 3, we are talking about conserving the institution that God designed for the family. And it interconnects 
in truth, the Bible is what is real and tangible. It's what's proven through what we see in the world. It's not just us reading the Bible and memorizing verses and those types of concepts. We're seeing it and we're seeing the consequences of sin and we're seeing the world through a biblical lens. That's basically what we teach and mentor people about is conserving biblical basics. So the biblical values are important, especially as you're engaging with students on the campus. Can you talk a little bit about why that's important when you're having those conversations with students? Is that available to all students? Who is typically addressing some of those questions? Maybe you can give us an example of how that comes into play in a mentoring relationship. Are you talking about on campus? Like, how do you approach apologetics? basically, in a situation like that, yep. defending. Yeah, I would say, and you could take it that direction too. If we're framing it from the context of a student, some of your interactions that you're having in Trinity, what would be an example? Like, would a student come to you saying, hey, I'm struggling with identity issues? If you had students come to you and say, hey, I feel like under a lot of pressure because of professors or peers that are experimenting with things, like what would be like an example? And then maybe like as a practical, where would you take them in the scripture? I know you mentioned Matthew and Genesis, like- um, Roxandra or Juan, I mean, if you have anything at, at the top of mind, please feel free to interject. Uh, so it's like more conversational too. Is there a typical scenario that you've come across? I, I'd like to um, add to that, if you don't mind. So Marjorie um, had mentioned that the core values of Trinity is being biblical prayerful and personal, right? So that's where the mentee is comfortable to talk about their issues, mm-hmm. right? Is from the mentor asking questions about, hey, how's your day going? What are some of the issues you're struggling with on top of the biblical studies, right? So like Alana mentioned, you know, Matthew, Genesis, and there's other studies like Old Testament. I think that's one of them. Besides just going through you know, chapter by chapter and discussing them and then talking about the attributes of God because each lesson has an attribute of God that's focused on. The personal part has to come in play as well. Mm. Where we're generally concerned about the mentees. That's why as mentors, we volunteer our time. It's because we want to address issues that they may be going through. Uh, Me being you know, 40 years old with seven kids, I've seen a big change within the youth. Whereas, uh, and a lot of it stems from being more connected to the world. Yeah. But the personal part is where it comes in. So I've had a mentee where I'm talking to and they address the issues that they're having at home. Um, maybe, you know, I want to be too specific. There are, there's court issues or there's, there's faith issues within the family and all I can do is be there for them, right? Wow. It's good. And, and as far as scriptures, I mean, the situation really dictates that. Like if someone's talking about, well, I don't want to have too much head knowledge, which I, I've come across. I mean, even Paul reasoned, right, mm. with the individuals he was Possible. talking to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Apostle Paul even reasoned with the individuals he was talking to. So it really depends on the issue. But we as mentors should be trying to get to a level where they feel comfortable talking. Because my mentee did not feel comfortable talking when we first started. And I was telling Mezzanine, I don't know how to get him to open up. You know, it's like I'm I'm being open and I'm very transparent with my flaws because I've learned from them. So there's no reason to hide from them. Wonderful. So I use them to teach my kids and anyone else I talk to. But some people are very reserved until you get to that point where they're comfortable. And then by the time we had already got two sessions in, Hey, how's it going? And blah, everything's coming out. You know, hey, I had this school, this family issue. So a lot of it is just building that personal aspect. Wow. I think ultimately too, when you have a mentor, that's like the idea of having a mentor and a mentee is you are relating to someone, especially in a world of broken families or examples of fathers or mothers. Mm. It's really important for us 
to have a person that we look up to and a person that we can go and run to and trust with our personal information and and secrets or things Mm -hmm. that we keep hidden. And the transparency thing is so huge because you want to be able to relate to them in a certain way. Yeah. And sometimes it's tricky because you don't have that same background as they do maybe or but it's easy to find Mm -hmm. certain events that are common ground. But the idea comes from, you know, having someone specifically for you to to walk you through scripture and walk you through life and walk you through events and stuff like that. So I'm really glad Juan brought that up. Wonderful. Roxandra, feel free to jump in here if you have anything you would like to add. Um, Why is it key when we're talking about just reality or worldview ideology that we start with the biblical worldview? And how does Trinity distinct among other mentoring or faith-based organizations in this space? How about that? That's a very comprehensive question. And I think there's many ways you can build up the argument. Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned in the beginning that I had to struggle a little bit with the terminology with conservatism because I come from a different cultural context. It has a different nuance, the definition. It basically means the same thing. So it might sound a little bit contradictory, but first of all, as a Christian, you have to trust the Bible as the ultimate reason for everything. That is the Word of God. That's the standard of interpreting reality, of living your life and knowing the will of God for you. But that would also mean that this is the only standard. You should always be mindful and stay away from any isms. Mm. So that is any word, any ideology that ends with ism. That is also conservatism. Conservatism should never be your main identity. Conservatism is a word that is very useful nowadays. We live in this so-called, we hear hear this word so often mentioned, postmodernism, post-truth, which basically means denying the definitions of the words. When I thought about conservatism, looking in the dictionary definition, which is what we should always do when we talk about anything, Mm -hmm. Uh, we should always go to the Bible when we have a question, we should always go to the standard. If we abandon the standard, then we go on the path of relativization and relativization is is basically anarchy of thought and conservatism in its original meaning is from latin conservare which means preserve so therefore as a christian conservative you have to preserve the christian principle the morality the christian culture basically religion manifested in our daily lives so it's the practical application of religion in a sense Mm. that's what conservatism should mean and it is incredibly helpful Mm. and it's incredibly useful because it brought all the people with the same mindset together So all the people who believe, yes, Christianity is an intrinsic part of, let's say, the Western civilization. Christianity is very important in order to have a well-functioning society. Christianity is the source of the basic human rights and freedoms. If you were to forget about the context that we live in, as a Christian, you should be progressive in the sense that you want society to progress, to become more free people to be unrestricted in their daily endeavors and to express their their faith and their beliefs. But if you look in the Trinity's website, I went back to an argument by Karl Popper. If you want to go into details, please check the statement for conservatism because we can easily fall into the oppressive minority. So it's a minority of thought that can oppress the majority of thought. And that's mm. what is happening today in society. It's not the general consensus anymore. It's about something that doesn't even make sense. So we have to have these pillars of truth. The Bible Mm -hmm. is the main pillar. And from this, everything else stems.
us and it, it can be described as a Torah babe, but we want to give our own definitions and mm. instead of God being the measure of all things, man becomes the measure of all things. Very circular because it's not very new in history. Man, y'all are brilliant. I'm hearing like just different perspectives. Um, I can tell like some of your own personality is just shining through. Like Juan, I even see you just more pastoral and I just know you're going to really drop some of that Bible on us. And Roxandra, you can tell like the academic, theological kind of is bleeding through. And Lena, I even see just more like cultural and like, hey, what's this look like on a practical basis and how you can live that out? So good. Ah, I think what's key and I think I figured it out, crack the code of what makes you guys set apart. And a lot of it does flow from your leadership. Um, reform, being reformed in terms of your thinking is kind of what the separator is almost between mainline Christian thought and belief and kind of just the understanding like, hey, we need to get back to what's core. So it doesn't mean that we give up our cell phones and we go back to how things were in the ancient days. That doesn't work anymore. We have technology now. Now we have to be responsible to how we use that. Case in point, look how Trinity is born. When society shifts so far away from the standard of truth and reality, when the moral compass of society as Christians, as believers starts to wane, this is when these movements kind of give birth to help realign a lot of the mainline Christian beliefs back to a standard, back to Christ. But also people that have never heard are like, whoa, hey, this is so crazy. I never heard this before. Yeah, it's because we're finally shining a light into the culture that should have been there the entire time. I want to take a moment to catch up with some recent updates to SK and forcampus.org. As I mentioned in a few episodes back, I've been actively partnering with a campus ministry on NC State called Ignite Generations. This has been an organization that I've seen incredible fruit in ministry growth. Due to the active commitment to the students we serve, I'll be focusing more of my ministry efforts to help and further develop their programs on the campus. For more details on how to follow the journey, including ways to partner with us, please visit ignitegenerations.org or reach out directly through 4Campus to learn more. Now, let's get back to our guests. As we transitioned the second half of the convo, we opened up, we talked a little bit more about, we're defining terms, we're kind of unpacking a little bit more what Trinity does. Let's introduce an actual scenario here. So let's say we have a student or a young person, high school or college age, he or she turns in a college paper, uh, science class, let's say even more specifically, you know, we're talking about evolutionary theory or just the worldview in general. Hey, I'm making an argumentation about something that is, you know, logical, something that has relevance in terms of gender or in terms of just reality and worldview comes into play. Professor takes a look at it, doesn't agree with it, either gives it a satisfactory grade, but puts in the comments, disagree, or even just openly ridicules, like kind of offhandedly. Oh yeah, you know, that's just what, you know, fundamentalists think and, you know, such and such. And by Wait, this happens all the time. It happens in science. It happens in humanities. It happens in, in sports, in any field you can think of. So to be more specific, can any of you guys think of an example of a student or a mentee that you've had that has approached you with something from an academic perspective? Like this happened in my institution or an administrator told me this, and I don't know really who to talk to about this. Can you give me an example of that? And then how did you walk them practically through the scripture or through conversation, through prayer? What is it that you did in that situation and how did that help them understand a little bit more about their identity and what's first thought? Um, I don't know if I could just jump in really quick. Go ahead, Nana, um, you're allowed to. Is- this is actually exactly what happened. So Trinity opened the door for my junior high girl to come into the fold. And just as an example, her teacher was talking about this and we were in Genesis. She brought up the law of conservation of matter, mm. that matter can't be created or destroyed. And it's ironic because in Big Bang Theory itself, it's like what came first, you know, it, it like a test 
that there's God. And even she had realized that she was, I don't understand. They're basically right there. They just can't see it. And I, at that point, didn't really even need to instruct her as much. I just had to kind of guide her down the right path with the right types of scripture. But she found it on her own because she was already in Genesis learning about that mm. during the time of our mentorship. Yeah, that's a, a great example. I actually have a video of her doing that. And she's oh, that's so cool. <laughs> That's so cool. You know, Psalm 19.1, this is a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I'll just give you another one here. Um, Hebrews 11.3, by faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. I think the response sometimes from people that are antagonistic is that's religious indoctrination. Who are you to say that God created all that when science itself, and look, I'll give you an example here for those that are watching. This was very popular recently, the Webb Space Telescope, right? NASA, an official recognized government institution taking earliest pictures that we can capture of the origins of the universe. And just, you know, who, when, as a Christian, when we look at these, we see creation and design and intention and brilliance, even the technology that goes into filming this and capturing these moments, why someone would be suppressive or even just critical of a perspective of design when the majority of scientists and even skeptics now are leaning to intelligent design or design theory, whether or not they want to ascribe to a particular view. But I know recently in a conversation with this, one of my professors it's on the podcast, a large number of, of scientists have come together and had basically rejected the evolutionary theory held by Darwin because they realize that it doesn't address the fundamentals of design in terms of our being, in terms of the molecular composition of matter and just some of the various aspects of that. Why is it bad to talk about design and how can we be more strategic in having those conversations? What are some of the responses you'd give to your student or how did you help that student navigate out of that? Um, I think just through scripture. Mm. I mean, scripture proves time and time again that God exists and is in control of the universe. And Job talks about how God stretches the universe like a curtain mm. and how that has to do with time. So when we talk about time from a scientific aspect, that connects we talk about God hanging the planet on nothing. Uh, we also talk about in Psalms how a child is formed in the womb before there was even any type of technology to view that. How did David know how a child was intricately woven mm. in the way it was described? In Genesis, we talk about seeds being in a seed and producing the same type of outcome. We're talking about apples making apples and, and Kinds. Yeah. people, people and, and that starts from the beginning. So I think just equipping with scripture and showing these points um, are kind of like the little hidden things that God places in scripture. Mm. For us who are paying attention, we see them and we marvel at it. A lot of people just kind of read the Bible and they're not really searching the scripture with a willing heart. And so they don't see these things yeah, when they are brought up. So going through those scriptures, those key scriptures and opening their eyes slowly helps. So good. Wow. All right, go ahead, Juan. Uh, you want to take it in a different direction or you have some comment, Dad? 
just wanted to add, I guess, to Alana, because she actually had a personal experience with a mentee who had an issue like that. I haven't. But what I wanted to say was taking it back to the personal part that I has mentioned before. As a mentor, we have to figure out what it is that our mentee needs. Mm. Like, are they really analytical? Do they even care about the different views on creationism or the different views of evolution? Or do they not? And once we figure that out, then we can kind of pinpoint our teaching yeah, that's good. to help strengthen their, their views. Me, I gave my mentee everything I had. <laughs> you know, it's like, whether you want it or not, here it is. Cause that's good. Because I'd rather be, I'd rather be open. You know, so when we did go through Genesis, I explained to him, yeah, there are young earth believers. They are old earth believers. They are people who believe it wasn't six literal days. They are people who believe that each day was thousands of years. And there's some that believe there was 24 hour day. I wanted to give them everything I can. And then we discuss it afterwards to see if it makes sense. Because it's not like I'm trying to confuse them, but I'm trying not to hold anything back. So that way, if they hear my point of view and then hear a different point of view from a different Christian, be like, hold on, Juan didn't tell me that. Was he hiding something from me? Because that's how I am. I'd rather you just give me everything. I analyze it. I look through it. I study it. And then I can kind of fall specifically where, because there's a lot of Christians that divide on secondary issues that die on the hill that doesn't need to be died on. And I just want to bring the scripture up because I was thinking of it as we were talking. Go back to what scholars believe is the first creed mm. created for the church. And that was from Paul, roughly around the 50s, 50, 54, depending on who you're talking to. It is 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom were still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and then last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. I think sometimes we need to keep it back to the core, right? Mm back to what the first church actually taught and not divine on so many secondary issues. I mean, you know, if, if someone doesn't want to eat pork, it's fine. Don't let them eat pork, but we don't have to be like, oh, you could eat pork. Christ opened all food, you know, and then divide on that. And we just have to be very careful. But going back to Alana did great. I mean, she knew her mentee. She addressed it the way she needed to. And so if I ever came across that, I guess I would have to curtail my, how I address it, depending on what the mentee actually needs. Wow, it's so good. The pre-prawling creed that you'd mentioned is really key, especially we're trying to make the case for dating of New Testament, why we trust in the reliability of scripture, especially in some of those early creeds are really important. And also Lana brought up a really good point. I think you dovetailed on this is that often we make the secondary and tertiary issues more important than the primary issue, which is the focus of our faith, the dependence upon God, and also the reliability and trustworthiness of his word, including the relationship that we have with other people in that community. Like the church is that balance of weakness and strength with the spirit of Christ holding it together. Here, I think was also key, and Lana mentioned this too as well, and this is so important, especially when discipleship relationships and mentoring relationships, it's often the heart level issues that are more important than the intellectual head issues. When we're in these relationships, we're trying to discern the motivation or the question behind the question of what's really happening. More often, it's more in the immediate. What is happening in this part of my life right now that I'm feeling. And that's when the shepherding aspect of mentoring, guiding, just the interaction between someone who's a little bit older or more mature in their life or faith that really makes the difference more than just getting the right theological or intellectual answer. And, you know, hopefully maybe I think Sandra may hit on some of these, but uh, what were your thoughts for Sandra? And maybe you've been learning your research, something that you think is really going to help edify the church and the organization you're in. Like- I, uh, I wasn't planning to go into depth here, but I was thinking about uh, my mentee 
piece. I never really had a situation where they didn't know how to answer questions, but rather which battles to choose. Mm. Because sometimes you can sit in a classroom and hear the professor saying something that is going against your belief, but you might have to think sometimes, do I have to interrupt the professor because he probably he's just merely going to react to me. He's going to feel irritated that I'm interrupting the session dropping the lecture when we have like an open debate in the classroom that's mm-hmm. the time where I'm using my arguments and becoming offensive or defensive depending on the situation but I was thinking about uh, I just discussed last week with my mentee we're talking about the uh, bible verse that is kind of scary from Romans 1 20 and you all know that the invisible attributes of God are made known to everybody from and nobody has an excuse yes. because everything is so clear. And an encouragement that I had always a hand, and I feel like it should be repeated even though we probably know, it's not a question of, of science because it might be very intimidating once you study within the STEM field, the, the hard sciences, let's say. And you're in a classroom and you look up to someone like a chemist or a physicist, someone who's dealing with the foundational questions of science, the universe, the, the principles, the governing principles of the universe. You know, it might feel a little bit intimidating because you think that this is exact, you know, this is science, but there is science, but above science, there's philosophy and above philosophy, there's theology. That's how I view world because your worldview dictates how you philosophize or how you operate in this world. But also philosophy is what generates logics and argumentation. And we see that the universe is rational, Mm -hmm. can be comprehended with our mind. So we forget that people think philosophically in universities, especially when it comes to like historical science. So there's historical science and there's observational science. Observational science is what we can replicate in the lab over and over and over again. We see it every day, like magnetism, gravity, all of these this laws, that all the rules of thermodynamics, these are observable. Mm-hmm. We see them every single day. But when it comes to the origins of the universe, that's historical science. I actually study the theory of complexity. Uh, sounds complex, but it's incredibly useful for a Christian because the more you go back in time, the less exact you will be in understanding what actually happened. Exactly like predicting weather. You can't really understand what happened in the distant past Uh, And you can't really predict what happens in more than a week from now, because there's this like big data problem and we have so many unknowns. So therefore you have to have a premise in order to understand. So evolution is a worldview. It's not a scientific discipline. It's a worldview. And we're wired to choose a worldview and then operate within it with loyalty. Uh, We have to understand that when we are in the academia and we're talking about historical sciences, we're talking about evolution, evolutionary biology, which is not really science. This is just a belief system. It's not a science. So just, uh, yeah, be courageous, take heart. So good. If I can jump in really, really quick. Um, It's ironic that humanity considers these professors to be so knowledgeable, to have like the secret of biology or medicine. Um, But really, they're kind of just as clueless as we are. Everything in science is hypothetical. You're always testing things. What's never hypothetical is the Bible, because it really does break down things at its core. Where are all of these people getting their initial knowledge from? They get it from textbooks. And a lot of these like scholars from the past way back use the Bible as like one of their first sources to talk about these topics, to talk about medicine or to talk about cleanliness and, and stuff like that. It's just ironic that we rely so much on human understanding and that becomes our religion. I think a worldview and a religion is closely mm-hmm. tied together because you're going to live out your worldview. I hate using the word religion, but I would consider like science a religion. 
just because they make it their foundation for everything. They basically like worship science in a way. It's not reasonable. It's not logical. It's not tangible, but they treat it as the foundation. But the difference is Christianity and following Christ is like rooted in the foundation of the Bible, which proves to be the steadiest foundation versus everything else, science and other religions that have like a foundation that's rocky and shaky. And typically their arguments tumble over because of that. I briefly wanted to share about our upcoming podcast episode featuring a previous guest and contributor to the show. In our discussion, we'll unpack the problem of evil, including its moral, philosophical, and theological foundations for deeper analysis. This is especially relevant for students and young people, as it's one of the most hotly discussed issues of our day and a barrier to many people accepting Jesus in the biblical worldview. Please make sure to subscribe to our channel and look out for this dynamic interview in the coming weeks, including news and the latest updates of our ministry. Now, let's conclude the rest of this episode. Lana, thank you for saying what you said, because that just made my mind go crazy thinking about other things. Because this is, I think, a great segue into the cosmological argument. She mentioned about the uh, the professors and they think they got it all figured out. So it made me think of a quote from Robert Jastrow from God and the Astronomers. And this is what he said. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak as he pulls himself over the final rock. He is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> because these are things as far as going back, was mentioned as historical science, right? The beginning of everything. Christians have been dealing with these issues since the very beginning. Mm. It's no secret when Hubble first saw, oh, the universe is expanding. That means that we all came from a single point. It's no, it's no surprise to the Christian because the Bible has been telling us that forever. So the cosmological argument, which is used to prove that there is a first cause something or someone that is self-evident, timeless, because they created time, non-spatial, spaceless, because they created space, immaterial, because they created material, powerful, intelligent, personal. That's used by the cosmological argument being, and using premises, just to keep it simple, the first premise being everything that had a beginning had a cause. Second, the universe had a beginning, therefore the universe had a cause. And that cause, as Christians, we know it to be God. And people are still trying to figure out, well, well you know, what caused it? What caused, if you give us more time, we'll figure it out. But every time there's a new discovery, we're seeing you know, the theologians already at that peak. They've been discussing this for centuries. Mm. And what Alana talked about, science being a religion, I agree. I personally don't have a, um, a issue with the word of religion, because if we define it, it's a belief in or worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God or gods. Another one is a particular system of faith and worship, and another one is a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance, which is what scientists do. They apply that importance to science. As Christians, we ascribe that supreme importance to God. Mm. So as far as the religion, I believe, is based on a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior. Wow. And that's how that's how I kind of look at it. But thank you, Lance, for pointing that out, because the cosmological argument is one of the arguments that actually led me to believing. Come on now. I was always interested in astronomy, and I but I never thought of, how did it start? I just thought, you know, probably like Lawrence Krauss, which is another scientist who talks about, you know, before all this, there was like energy and, and math equations floating around it, but there was nothing. Yes, nothing, but there was this and that. It was like, well, there really wasn't nothing. What created that? It was a supreme being, <laughs> you know, who we call God. So, and then using other things after that, it'll lead us to the Christian. Gone.
Amazing. So good. And by the way, I want to mention it earlier, you know, he was a retired Marine. So of course it was the cosmological argument that led him to God, not the foxhole and near-death experience. <laughs> but I want to just uh, kind of highlight or recap some of the conversation points. And there's so much to draw off on. Lana, you really did well. The example of your student, for instance, and really having the conversation about just maybe really what that student's experiencing, why that's important for them. Really, a lot of this format was just to allow you guys to open up and share what you feel, put the mentors in the driving seat. And that will probably lead into the last bit of the conversation. This was a little treat. This kind of got downloaded, but let's take this from the other perspective. Let's say I am a student, you know, someone in your professional communities that disagree with our presuppositions, our views of the world, and even just the way we conduct our lives, as you said, Lana, the way that we live. How do we then engage in an academic setting, in a professional setting, or even in a personal setting relationship with our neighbors? And we'll just use this as an example. Um, someone was raised in the church, grew up, went to missions, did all the right things, uh, went to college. Immediately was bombarded, had one of those uh, edgy New Testament professors that broke down all the Bible and why it wasn't true. You know, someone in humanities or the science realm that says, hey, look, I'm going to dismantle your whole faith simply because look what we just discovered. And where does the God of the Bible address that? How do you encourage both the students, even just parents, other mentors in your faith to address those issues? And what do we say to that person? Or how do we interact with those people, whether it is a professor or a fellow student or a family member? How would we address that? Yeah. Um, I think the most important thing if we're engaging with someone who's like that, who lived a Christian life and then went to college and lost it, which happens a lot now. I mean, you got statistics up in the 60s and 70s, depending on where you're reading from, where a lot of youth are losing their faith or stopping to believe or deconstruct. That's the mm. word that's being thrown around nowadays. And then they leave the church, which is unfortunate. But the first thing, I mean, if I was to engage, I would just ask questions, to be perfectly honest, because I can't really dig in unless I know where they're coming from, right? Is it because of church is it because the science made them think otherwise? Mm -hmm. Is it because there was someone that they believed to be a Christian that they maybe inadvertently raised them on a pedestal and then they tumbled and fell and then so did their faith? My question will come from that point of view, you know, like what caused it? But that happens through conversation, right? So if I'm having a conversation, they say that they no longer believe that God created the universe. Well, what do you mean by that? Right. And then listen to what they got to say. Greg Kokel, who wrote Tactics, awesome book. It teaches you mm -hmm. how to engage with, with non-believers. But he's always about asking questions to you understand where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And then you come up with the, have you ever considered this? And then that's where you kind of open the door to your point of view. And then you just have a dialogue because you're not going to be able to bring them to the cross that one conversation. Some people you're going to have to have multiple conversations. <laughs> Even then you can have 10 conversations and they talk to another person and then that person will bring them to the cross. So you kind of put that rock or that pebble in the shoe. You kind of plant in that seed. Yeah, that's good. But um, it would be asking questions and understanding at what point did they lose it? Did they lose it because of a certain professor taught a different way? Did they lose it because the church hurt family members? Maybe they didn't really believe in. They just believed that Jesus Christ existed, but they didn't really believe in Jesus Christ. They didn't trust them to be their Lord and Savior. Mm. Um, because I was there when wow. I was coming to the church. I was reading and I was soaking up apologetics and looking at the moral arguments and look at the cosmological argument and I was looking and I said man it seems like he existed like he's a historical figure all these people writing about him I believed in revelations which is what Paul talked about with his creation but I didn't trust in his special revelation mm. the word of God and once I crossed that path it became a moment where I didn't just do what 
Christians do because it's the right thing to do. I did it because I wanted to do it yeah. because I trust in God that he has my best interests at heart. Whether it's to suffer for him, like the disciples did, or whatever the case may be, I completely put my trust in Jesus Christ and that God has my best interests at heart. Very so good. going back to your question, I would just ask questions to understand where they're coming from. That's good. The Colombo approach is what we like to do at Ford Campus. Uh, <laughs> I want to forget this too, but one of the other components about, and this might be a good way to engage is to say, hey, look, science field has categories of phenomena that they don't know how to address sometimes. And they factor that into equations. They factor that into just understanding what some things can't be reproduced, but they still hold grounding. Maybe that's a conversation point. Hey, let's talk about that some more. So is there room for faith? Is there room for those phenomena? And how do we as Christians navigate that? God likes to do what he likes to do. And we don't always get to have a say in it. So how do we approach people when bad things happen? That's another conversation point. But I'm just going to say what Florence said, uh, just repeat it, because I think that's that's an excellent approach. Uh, Even Jesus, Jesus always answered Mm. with the question, which probably annoyed the crowds, but deep about coming back with the question instead of an answer because mm. it searches the other person. It goes deeper into their soul. It's very important to have established relationships whenever possible. It's also important to always keep in mind or try to understand what the other person is going through because most of the times it's not a, they don't have scientific or rational doubts. They have emotional doubts. I think most of the people who deny even the idea of God, like atheists, they either do that because they find some comfort in it because they allows them to live a certain lifestyle or they have the classical questions you know like i can't accept the idea of a good god because i see so much suffering in the world or they're halfway through science which means you're just grasping the surface of of science and you think okay i can explain everything in materialistic terms but there is a saying and it sounds a little bit cynical and maybe arrogant but if you're an average scientist you're going to be an atheist but if you're an excellent scientist you're not going to be an atheist you're going to be at least a theist so Mm. if you look at the greatest scientists who deal with foundational questions about the universe, especially in the area of physics and chemistry, they at least accept the idea of intelligent design and ask critical questions. They're open to debate. But if you settle for like in between, we have as human beings this tendency to have the sectorial thinking. You know, it's almost like the tendency nowadays. We don't have the, the Renaissance person like we know about this and about that and about that and we make connections. We just think in hyper-specialized terms and the more specialized you go, the further you go from the root cause, from the most essential big questions of life. I didn't really have to give very pragmatic advice, but I remember talking with my mentees who were really burning, like they're really up for it. And I thought, okay, let's just pray about it, that we have always respect and just the patience because it's not about winning the argument. Also, when you're in a debate with someone, you can get easily triggered. And that was my problem. I was constantly thinking, how is that apologist standing there without getting angry? Or just, I open National Geographic and I get angry or my blood pressure goes up. And I had to learn this over the years. It's not about winning the argument with the person. You're answering not to that person, especially if you're in public. You're answering to everybody else who's listening. And it's always about Christ. It's not about science. It's not about what you say. You have to not do things halfway. If we can be scientists, Christ sees us as a ministry. So that's our ministry. Science is an act of worship. Sharing the gospel is an act of worship. Talking to people is an act of worship. Loving them is an act of worship. So every sphere of our lives is an act of worship and we answer to God. So always keep our ego in mind. And also if we have a problem with not trusting ourselves, spend more time in prayer. So sometimes, you know, you have to accept things in advance in order to understand them later. You know, induction, deduction. 
Rosandra, you're, you're on like a higher plane than where I'm at. So I have to, or not to listen a few times to catch up, but Lon, any closing, anything you want to add as well? Um, I think ultimately God works through people. Mm. And so it's kind of crazy how when you are in the word of God and you're paying attention and trying to make biblical connections in your everyday life, how God presents opportunities for you to speak with people. I came to find out that a lot of my coworkers during my day job are actually Christian. And a lot of that had stemmed from just their behavior, living out Christ. It's ironic because a lot of people are drawn to Christians. If you have a Christian friend in your group, the likelihood that someone comes to you in their time of need is, is very high. That's good. And also living out Christ makes you approachable. Mm-hmm. Teaching in love, teaching in real love is comforting. That's good. It's actually what people crave is parenting, really. Like children desire discipline, but they also desire love and comfort. And so kind of ministering in that way and approaching people that way. Totally agree that Jesus uses questions. Questions also are very calm and collected. You come into the argument discussion. And then the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It is the only part of God's armor that is a offense. Everything else is a defense, but the Word of God is also described as like a mirror. When we turn it and we are showing people the Word of God, it really kind of reflects back on Mm -hmm. them, and it shows what their true character is and where they're coming from. So when we are asking these questions, it reveals their morality to them. They are looking at themselves in a mirror and trying to reason with how they got to this place, and a lot of times we realize that we're very selfish in nature, and Mm -hmm. we've, we've come to these conclusions for very specific reasons. A lot of times, those types of arguments, when you ask those questions, they actually calm them down and kind of crawl back. Disarms them. (laughs) They will go home and and not know what to do. So yeah, I think that's the best way to go about it. Mm. The Word of God is just the center of everything. And every single one of our answers, I feel like we come back to that. Oh, so wonderful. I want to end on that because you just brought it home. In summary, we talked a little bit about just the organization, Trinity, and the mentoring, obviously the equipping ministry that you guys provide, as well as education to communities, families, organizations as well. So I only see good things coming from that. Mersmi's watching later. You killed it. Good job. Continue to do good work. And then in terms of the conversation, we took it from a couple different perspectives. One, the mentor, the person engaging with the students, and then well, from the student's perspective, some of the questions and scenarios that come up. And then even from the outside perspective, the person that may be neutral or hostile towards these conversations and how we can approach those individuals too. So I love that. I love those different perspectives. And we always have to remember that as Christians, we're also being viewed people in the faith, outside the faith. We're always just trying to become more like Christ, to sharpen our witness. The image at the end of the day should be more compassionate, more understanding, resilient to attack, because that is what Christ had modeled for us on earth. And so I can only see more fruit bearing from the conversations they're having. And just know that it's worth it. If anyone that's ever taught or been in the military or in academic circles, you didn't get to where you were overnight. And so some of these students that may be asking these questions now, it may not seem like a whole lot of win is there 
there. And sometimes even like, man, maybe I pushed them further back in their unbelief. Uh, you don't know how the next person, the next conversation may lead them to saving knowledge of Christ. And here's the other thing too, is those students don't have an excuse. They've heard the truth. We have done our job. We have worked with them. Now they know, you know what? I remember a guy that was a Christian or a woman that was a mentor of mine in college. They'll never forget that. Uh, guys, get a chance. Please check out the show notes. There's lots of resources that are going to drop in there. If you guys need anything, please reach out through trinacy.org. Go through the proper channels so you can reach these incredible mentors. So I just want to thank you guys for participating. I'm really grateful that we got to do this today and continue to do the work of mentoring. I always believe this, that mentoring is a real and effective discipling system that we can use in today's relationships and it has been there the entire time. We're just going into a new generation, a new culture that may not connect with some of these historical biblical terms, but as long as we have those relationships and those conversations, leading them to Christ, we are doing the work of the church. So it's really excited for you guys and only see good things coming. Bless you guys and bless the fruit of this ministry. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Solomon's Knot, a production of fourcampus.org and its related partners. For details on this episode, including ways to connect with our guests, please check out the show notes. Also, make sure to subscribe to our channel on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple, or anywhere you get your podcasts. I want to thank you for your faithful listenership and look forward to your continued support for the students at NC State, our partners, and communities beyond. So until next time, this is your host, Jason, signing off. Peace.